Welcome in. This is 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman, and today we are going back for more. One of the most requested episodes ever. We're making it happen because it's instruction-based, and it helps a lot of you on your game and joining me to break it all down. It's Greg Ducharm. Greg, uh, this is it, man. We did we did one instruction episode, and my inbox filled up. It's good to have you. Oh, it's great to be here, Rick. First of all, one of the best podcast names going i i love 300 yards to unknown it's such a good name and you do such a great job on it so it's a pleasure to be here one and two i can't believe it's the most request i, I can't believe how requested it is so anytime anytime you want i'm all in i love doing this stuff it's my it's my favorite well i appreciate it i imagine uh you know we are always on the hunt for that one tip that one drill, that one swing that unlocks everything, Greg. So I imagine that if people took some positive away, yeah, they, they would be thirsting for more. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. First and foremost, and based on today's topic that yes. we discussed earlier, Good topic. Um, it's important to know that if, if there was a magic wand, I would have broken it on myself. <laughs> I, I got that line from a, a mentor of mine. And so here's the thing. This, it, it takes work. And, and that's really the secret sauce. Like Ben Hogan had a secret. Everybody talked about what, what's Ben Hogan's secret. And they thought it was some move in the swing. And I, I've fallen into it too. I've looked for the secret. What's the, what's the magic to the swing? And I, I don't really believe there is one. But it's the way you go about doing it. It's the work that you put in. It's the effort you put in, especially this time of year, that makes it all happen. And ultimately, that is the secret. It, it's the it's the effort you can put in. Certainly no substitute for hard work in most things, especially in the game of golf. So what we're going to talk about today, a very timely episode, because Greg, as you know, uh, we are headed uh, right towards holiday season, which means in most parts of the country, it is getting colder. Uh, golf seasons may already be over. And this is the challenge every year where golfers are like, okay, it might be three or four months before I can get out onto the golf course again, maybe longer, depending on where you live. So today we are focusing on things that you can do to keep your game sharp during the winter time. Come on. That's great. It's great. And you, you said the word, the word challenge, it, it's a challenge and in all challenge lies great opportunity. And that's why I'm so fired up about this episode, because it, this is the time where good, good players can become great players and you can beat your competition. This is like that week in, in daily fantasy where nobody knows who's playing in the field. And the, the people who put in the work, they put in the time, they do the research, they get on rickrungood.com and they figure out what the model is. Those are the players who they're licking their chops and the players in the off season who come in and say, okay, I know that it's a little bit challenging to hit balls right now, but it's challenging for everybody. And so this is an opportunity for me to get ahead. And th that's why I, I love this time of year, because this is when champions are born. Right. And and right. you think about your offseason and even if you're not looking to become a scratch player, your ambitions in the game aren't great, but there's something in your life that you want to improve, whether you want to become a better parent or run a better data golf website. The, the offseason is the time when you really make those changes. And I mean, look, rickrungood.com doesn't become what it is with uh, sitting on the couch eating leftover turkey. I mean, that that's not the that's not the recipe for success. You put in the work in the off season. So this is the time to go get it. It's a great opportunity. I can assure you that that is true. The off season is very valuable for uh, the world that yeah. I'm in. But what we what we figured is that there's we're going to try to cover as 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 many different situations as possible. We've kind of broken this down into three different segments, Greg. You know, you you guys in uh, if you're in Southern Florida and you're all year round, uh, we'll, we'll get to you in a second. But we've kind of broken this down into a couple buckets, Greg. Basically, uh, one bucket would be the the golfers who have nothing but their home right? They're probably snowed in for the next couple of months. They're going to be able to uh, maybe chip and putt on the carpet inside. Uh, the next bucket would be, hey, maybe you have a net. Maybe you can take full swings into a net. And then the third bucket would be maybe access to a simulator or a golf course, or maybe the simulator goes into the second bucket. But we're going to try to break this down into three different buckets so that we can kind of attack, whether it's drills, uh, mindset, things that can just help you stay sharp, help you improve over this winter time. 
And as this levels up from that first bucket where you're just stuck indoors, all, all the things that those of you who are stuck indoors and, and those of you who can get outside, all the things we talk about in that first area, the base of the pyramid, if you will, um, these, these tips and drills will work um, and they will help you and you should be doing them. The cool part is this is the, for, for those of you like me, I, I live up in the Northeast. My golf season may have come to an end yesterday. Um, <laughs> although it's a really a, a specifically short season for me because it's basically the fall time. Um, but in that time, you have the opportunity to do the things that aren't maybe there. Maybe they don't seem as fun, but their importance level is extreme. So even if you are in South Florida, these are the things you should be focusing on. And then you get to the next level and the next level. And if you are snowed in there, there are still concepts, keys and concepts that you can right. apply when the springtime comes around. So they're still all extremely important to remember. So bucket number one, uh, snowed in person with access to their house. I envision, Greg, this is someone who rolls putts on the carpet, uh, maybe puts a, you know, a, a mug at the end and tries to use that as a target. Maybe they have a putting mat. Who knows? I, but I'm sure we can find uh, ways for them to improve their game while they're at home. Yes. And there, there are a couple different directions you can go with this. Yeah. Um, you break it down into areas of the game. Putting is the, it's a, it's an essential part of the game and you can really make improvements. And um, again, even if you're in South Florida and the daylight is just getting a little short on you and you're like me and your kids are asleep upstairs, then this is a great opportunity to get some work in on the greens and improve your stroke for the next day. If you're, yeah. if it's winter time, it's for four months from now. So I'll, I'll start with putting, um, and uh, a drill. I, I recommend getting a putting mat. I, it's a relatively inexpensive way to really hone in on your game. And I mean, my favorite, um, putting mat company is called big Moss. Uh, you can get a, a putting mat from them for big Moss golf for it, it's, it's less than depending on the size. You're talking about $200 or less. Um, there are some bigger ones that are more, but it's an incredibly good, true, honest surface. So that's the first recommendation. But whether you have a, a putting mat or not, this is a great opportunity to do this drill that I love. The putting mat obviously simulating regular greens as opposed to your carpet, which would be nice, or maybe your kitchen floor, which might run a little bit faster than Augusta National. But the, the putting mat allows you to kind of simulate, give you an opportunity to use uh, a real target that is that is uh, regulation cup size, which is already like half the battle when you start getting into these into these drills, I imagine. Right. Well, and it also, it allows, um, there are some things in putting when you really get it where you, the sound is different. Mm. So if I'm playing on a green or listening to someone on a putting mat, um, let's say I'm in a scramble. That's a four person scramble. And there's a couple of higher handicaps, not necessarily great putters and me. We've all been in this situation before where the first putt breaks three feet and the yes. second putt doesn't break and ev everybody's different. And now you're all of a sudden you have no idea what to do. Well, that's because of a spin you put on the ball. Mm. And so when you are on a carpet, depending on what your carpet is like, you, you can miss out on some of those sounds. When you get on a really true, honest putting mat, you, you can hear a true roll. And, and when you do the drill I'm about to share with you, you'll start to learn what that sounds like. And if you want to be, if you are not a very good golfer, but you want to be part of the group and you want to be very valuable, become the guy who rolls in putts in the scramble. Because if you're that, if that's all you do is give yourself a chance in a scramble, uh, you are like the most valuable guy out there and everyone will love you instantaneously. And instantaneously, doesn't matter if you shank every shot leading up to the green. <laughs> in, instantaneously. You're the guy, you're, you're the corporate worker. You go play in a corporate outing every, you know, once a month or, or less twice a year and you can make putts, you're going to be a oh, fan favorite. You're, right? You're, get, you're getting the next race. I guarantee it. All right, Greg, what right. is this, this drill that we can work on at home to improve our putting with uh, little to no equipment? Maybe it's a putting mat, but just getting the, the club in our hands. What's our drill? Yeah. Again, my preference is a putting mat, but it's not mandatory. You take a two by four or a piece of a windowsill. It's very simple. It, it's basically a straight edge. 
that has a little bit of height. Do you want to have the the mm-hmm. ideal thing to have is like um, a a piece of wood that's an L. It's basically it is a windowsill, but it's popped off, so you can stand it up, and it's about three inches tall. Mm-hmm. It, it could be two inches tall, but th- I like three inches tall. And it sits on the ground. So it's in line. It's parallel to the to the hole. And you put a ball in there and your putter in there. So the toe of your putter is resting on the the piece of wood. And you make strokes keeping the piece of wood on or keeping the putter on the piece of wood. And all it, it keeps your putter in a very straight line, which is when you first get on this, you're going to say, oh, it's a it, this teaches me a straight back straight through putting stroke, which is fine. Although it's not really the purpose. The purpose is to keep the face square. And when you have the toe of your putter up against that piece of wood, again, it can be the floorboard in your house. It can be the, the baseboard in your house. Um, uh, although the I, I like it to be separate because if you push too hard into the piece of wood, yeah, it'll no. move. Yeah. And you don't want to move it. So it just it gently glides along the piece of wood, but always stays in contact. And if you open the putter face in the backswing, which is a very common flaw in recreational players putting strokes. Uh, If you keep that toe on the wall or on the piece of wood, then the face isn't going to open. And all of a sudden, especially if you get a a straight putt, a really true straight putt, they will go in one after the next, after the next. And when you learn how to make a stroke like that, the line control becomes easy. And all of a sudden you're going to be three months down the road hitting putts that they, they all start right on your line and now you can focus on speed. And when you get the read, right, it's going to go in. And, and at the same time, you'll be great in sh- from short range. But when you extend that out to longer putts, your likelihood of makes will increase dramatically. So a couple things I like about this, uh, personally, I notice, and I, and I can see it sometimes when, when my putting stroke goes awry it's it's offline immediately it's 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 going outside and sometimes i just want to just stop and just start all over again because i can feel it immediately if i had a if i had a two by four or something on the toe of my putter i i would have knocked it over or i would have i would have moved the two by four the other thing is greg i imagine um the point you 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 roll putts with this you actually hit balls with this and i like i like drills that even if you're using a piece of equipment or in this case a very cheap piece of wood uh you can actually hit golf balls with it and kind of get that similar feedback as well yeah you'll get the sound you'll get it's very real it's a very real experience that translates sometimes very quickly but the key is through this winter time like uh, and you'll notice a, a theme throughout all of tonight uh, everything we talk about tonight you don't need a lot of drills you need mm-hmm. to do a drill a lot and and right. so you have this one drill you have this one piece of wood on this putty mat in your basement or in your living room or wherever it is maybe it's rolled up in the club you just you you every time you have a chance you hit a couple of putts mm-hmm. and it could be it could be in 30 it could be 30 minutes for a day with six five minute sessions it could be 30 minutes at the end of the day. It could be, it could be 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night, but you do it every chance you get. And that adds up. Those reps add up. And then the one, the second piece to the drill, that's important. Take, make sure you roll a couple of putts away from it. So you're going to roll them with the toe on the board. Okay. And that's what you want to do early on. But make sure you're uh, at some point when you get a hang of it and, and you understand the feel, back yourself away a couple of inches so the toe of your putter isn't touching it and roll some putts pretending it's there. Because the, the one troubleshooting thing that can happen is it, it in order to keep that pressure, to keep that contact, you can feel like you got to push your putter outside. Okay. And now if if you don't, practice without the board every once in a while you might start taking it away outside when there's no resistance that'd be the one troubleshooting thing you got to worry about so just alternating those every once in a while will will help you keep it and and all of a sudden your face will be just dead square through the stroke very cheap 
efficient, easy way to make sure your 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 face is square, make sure your your stroke is on point. Okay, so we we talked to now. Do we want to move a, a, away from putting? Is there chipping? Is there what what else? Yeah, this no, person, absolutely. This person inside, stuck inside the house for who who the heck knows how long? Probably itching, watching golf on TV as they travel to Hawaii and all these different places. What what are they going to be able to do uh, to further improve? So you go to chipping now. What chipping requires and chipping pitching short game, what this requires in the game of golf is a, a lot of detail, just like putting and full swing. There, there are, there's a lot of nuance to it. What shot yeah. are you going to play? What's the trajectory? What's the spin you're going to put on the ball? What shot do you play when? What's the lot? There's a thousand things. We could do an entire episode on just short game alone. Trust and me, I, I, I need an after, entire episode right? on short game alone. My goodness. The, the yeah. variables. That's that, that the variables. Not I never know. I can't even convince my brain what shot I'm trying to hit, let alone trying to go actually hit that shot, Greg. So <laughs> there's there's nothing you can do about that when you're in the in the northern part of the country in the wintertime. But that doesn't mean short game's out because there's a there's a basic skill that unlocks all those possibilities. Now you may have to go and learn them and practice them. So this doesn't guarantee that you're going to get up and down every time when you come out in the spring, if you do this drill for a couple of months, what it will do is it'll give you the, the building blocks to be able to learn, adjust, adapt, and and have the ability to try and, and have a, um, a much stronger arsenal in your short game. So the key is understanding where the low point, or where the where the club brushes the ground, and yes. it's it, you you have to have control of this. It's the number one fundamental in short game. Because the imagine just imagine this: you're trying to predict the distance the ball goes, yeah. and you hit a shot once with the club face, and you hit it again, but all of a sudden there's a head cover on your on your wedge, but you don't know that it's going to be there. Or not well, how hard are you going to hit? Yeah. So now now there's no feel feel comes from practice with consistent contact and and it's such so we got to learn consistent contact and we can do that in the winter there is this is literally uh remember when tiger comes back and he's got the chipping yips and he says i can't feel where the bottom is i i've i've lost the bottom and i'm like what the what in the world does that mean this is what he means he doesn't know if he's where where, where the bottom of his club is and how he's going to make contact with this thing right and he's the greatest ever (laughs) he's the greatest ever and he got lost for, there's no reason to get into the details on why he got lost. But the point is, if you lose the bottom, right. there's no amount of talent that can overcome that. Right. You're, you're, go- you're going to struggle because there's, there's no prediction of distance. So this winter, you take a shoelace and you're on the carpet. And I, I would recommend taking a, two pieces of scotch tape. They don't, they're, they're this long and you tape the ends down. So this, this shoelace is flat on the ground. And it's not going to move too much, but it, okay. it's not duct tape to where it's stuck there. It has a little bit of play, but if you, if you, um, you know, touch it when you're setting the drill up, it's not going to move. And you just simply make chipping motions as if there were a ball there. It's an imaginary ball and you're brushing your, your carpet, you're, you're brushing the, whatever surface you're standing on in front of the string. I, I recommend putting the string right in the middle of your stance and you're going to make practice strokes just brushing in front of the string. And now all of a sudden you'll get a real feel for where, A, where do you hit the ground? Cause you got to hit the ground right. and B, where is that? So now when you get outside and if you level this up and you do have an opportunity to hit some balls in a simulator or to play some golf outside, mm-hmm. you get a warm day. The ball goes where the string is. And you still brush in front of the string. Is our string, are we swinging uh, like the length of the string or perpendicular to the string? No, perpendicular. Great okay. question. Perpendicular to the string. Got it. So okay. the string that is like, a, it's like a goal line. Got it. Okay. okay. And, and all you want to do is brush in front of it. So, so you're taking your low point. I, I've never seen anybody in my career teaching have a low point or a brush point that's too far forward. It just doesn't happen. If you oh, hit really? it thin. Okay. If you top it, it's likely that your club bottoms out too soon, but misses the ground and you actually catch, you, you catch the ball on the way up, up mm. especially in the bunker. People think all the time, I'm hitting the all ball in the bunker. So I, I'm not taking enough sand. So they try to get, 
the low point farther back, but that exaggerates the problem. And the low point has to move forward or the contact point where, wherever the club first touches the ground, it's actually not the low point. That might be a bad term, but no, I'll call it the, the brush point or the contact point. It has to be ahead of where the ball is. Now in the bunker, it's not going to be ahead of it. It's just going to be closer to the ball than you, mm. than you think. Um, but when you spend some time mastering the place where your club hits the ground, there's not a lie that's going to scare you. You can, you'll, you'll be much more effective in, in rough. It, it's not going to be, I mean, you're not going to spin it back out of the rough, but right. the rough will affect it a lot less. A tight lie won't scare you yeah. in the bunker. You'll have control of where th- that's the whole key is knowing where do I want to hit the ground? And, and then you're not afraid of hitting the ground. And that's where I think the yips come from a lot is if, if I, if my club hits the ground, I'm going to either chunk it or it's going to bounce into the ball and I'm going to skull it. Mm-hmm. But if you know where it's going to bottom out and you can make it bottom out ahead of the ball, then you're going to make ball first contact and you're now free to hit the ground. And it, it's such an important aspect of short game. Um, and, and mastering that will unlock your capabilities. So I'm noticing a trend here all about consistency. We're getting more consistent with our putting stroke. We're getting more consistent about knowing where our contact or our brush point is in the short game. We are still stuck inside, Greg. We're looking out the window. We're seeing snow come down. Is there anything, this might be tough, full swing related that we can do without breaking a chandelier or causing destruction around the place? Yes. Now, there are some places in, in my little townhouse here, I can make full swings and I do from time to time, but you don't have to make full swings to improve. And in fact, the, the full swings, you don't really need to make um, in full speed because there's, there's no feedback when you're just hitting, when, when you're just swinging indoors. But what you can do is improve and master your grip. And there's, this is the perfect time to do it because nobody wants to be out there on the range in the springtime when you're just first getting back and, and having to make a grip change. You don't want to do that. So this is the time to master it. And I'll tell you a story because it, it seems so one-on-one. Oh, I got to work on my grip. But the very first lesson I ever saw uh, a PGA Tour player get, I was a very, I was a, a very young coach not even coaching at the time i was just observing michael breed teach and he had this student darren styles darren is a the leading money winner of all time at least he was at the time leading money winner of all time on the corn Ferry tour hmm. uh which isn't necessarily a title you want to have but the point is right. the guy was a robot and the thing that kept him um from continuously having his tour card is just distance but this guy was a robot and Every, this had nothing to do with the lesson. It was not discussed. Michael didn't talk about it once, but every three shots, he would take a second. He'd be nodding his head. Michael's giving him advice and he's holding in his right hand. He's holding the club uh, by the shaft down below the grip. And he's putting his left hand on the club and he's just checking it and he's listening and and he's looking at it and he doesn't do it every swing. He does it about every third swing. And then he puts his other, he puts his right hand on and all of a sudden he's ready to go. Wow. And it stuck with me until this day. And it will always stick with me uh, because he is a player at striving for the highest level, a level that none of us will ever, we will never know what it feels like to play golf at that level. Um, And, and he's focused on the things that we think we're above or past. Yeah. It's, it's such an attention to detail to a seemingly nothing part of the game. However, you hear all the time, Oh, the, the, the grip is that's your connection to the club. Uh, you hear, Oh, the, the one, the biggest thing that you can change without any skill is having the correct grip. Uh, so you hear that all the time, but as much as we hear it, I know we don't take it seriously. I don't take it seriously. No, I don't, no. I don't, I don't check. Uh, ever like ever ever i just put my hand on on it so so using this time where we're maybe not able to make full swings to train our brains to grip it correctly uh is already like you you could already be four months ahead by the time you're back out on the golf course and and it's so important it's actually an advantage 
to be stuck inside and work on your grip because you don't have the connection to the ball. You don't have, there's no result that it, this is tied to. So yeah. the, the grip, while it's so simple, it's one of the most challenging things to change. Um, and, and the reason for that is it's uncomfortable. That's mm-hmm. why people don't want to check it. They don't want to look at it because they hold it and it's comfortable and they like that. But when you can you see comfortable and natural, these words, they're, they're, they don't really have any merit in the game. And things become natural or comfortable through effort and through mm-hmm. work and through mm-hmm. repetitiveness. So when you can take the monotonous task of mastering your grip and you can do it every single day, just like the the drill against the wood and putting, just like the short game drill, when you can do it every day, all of a sudden it's natural. This is my favorite because this is, um, you could literally be sitting on the couch binging Netflix with a golf club, putting, putting a correct grip on, taking it off, putting a correct grip on, taking it off, putting it, it's, it's super simple. Now here would be the next question, Greg, how do we know it's the correct grip? Okay. I, uh, I was hoping <laughs> you'd ask that. So, uh, the correct grip, there are a couple of keys that I look for. And when you look at on the PGA tour, there are a number of different grips so they can work. There's no one perfect grip. And, but I, and I will say, sorry, not to cut you off, but yeah. the one guy that stands out to me, and if you if you see him play out there, uh, Adam Scott. Adam Scott checks his grip every single shot. He holds it out to the side, kind of. I don't know if you can see it, kind of like this. Yeah. And he makes sure and he checks it every. He's the one guy that I can think of that is like out there, so that we can see that he's paying attention to it. So if you if you catch Adam Scott, um, he's constantly thinking about it. Constantly, and and this is this controls the face. Yeah, there are a few elements we'll get into, but if you heard our last episode, Rick, we talked about how important face control is. It's yes, you can control the face, you can control the ball. And so you need a grip that allows you to control the club face. Now, you likely more likely than not play with an open face, not a closed face. That's why you slice. That's why 90% of recreational players slice. So the very first thing you want to see uh, and the great thing about sitting on the couch is you're going to hold the club. So the club head is up and right. the grip is low. All right. So you're, you're sitting there, your feet are up, you're, you're reclined <laughs> on the couch eating popcorn and hold the golf club. I hope it's not too buttery. Get, getting better at golf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Buttery. That'll mess your, your slide, yeah, your grip don't, around. Don't you got to, I mean, don't be eating popcorn, but <laughs> point is you can do anything you want. This does not take physical exertion. Right. But what you're going to do is when you look at your lead hand, your mm-hmm. left hand for a right-handed player, you want to make sure you can see knuckles. And oh, man, when knuckles. you look at your trail hand or the right hand for a right-handed player, you don't want to be able to see any knuckles. And if you do, when, when you get into that position, so th- this is my right hand that m- my palm would be down to the right. ground or away from me. Now I can see the knuckles of this hand and my trail hand, my right hand, I'm a right-handed player. You would be able to see those knuckles. I can't see them. You can, Mm -hmm. I can't. Right. And when the grip starts to go rotate this way, now you can see my knuckles on my left hand. I can't. So now that grip is in a very weak or open position. Mm, The other thing is this, this part of your hand right here, it's called the heel pad. Yeah. This gets on the side of the grip or on the bottom of the grip. And now you get into a lot of trouble. So we want to have knuckles on the lead hand and the heel pad on the top of the grip. So if you have a, um, a grip with a, the, the brand of the grip is on top, whether it's golf pride or Lampkin right. or whatever, when, whatever the, whatever that marking is on the top, right. that is the top center line of the grip. And you want to make sure the heel pad is sitting on top and you can see knuckles on both hands how many knuckles should i see i'm a right-handed player my left hand how many knuckles should i see Uh, two is a very baseline number okay it it is adjustable there are some if you if you want to hit a fade it might you might be better off with one if you uh, fight a slice you might be better off with three Uh, two would be the the very neutral the very common Number. The other thing is, uh, okay, I'm not at two. I got to get to two. The the other thing is, uh, I always feel, and maybe this is from my baseball days, that my, that the 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 club is like in the palm of my hand, but I feel like it should be 
more in the fingers? Is that am I onto something here? I feel like I'm holding like a pipe or something. I don't know. So it's a it, it's a great point. Um, it should be in the fingers more so than especially if you fight a slice. Getting it in the fingers more will be helpful. In an ideal world, it it kind of sits. There's this uh this channel in your hand. I'm yeah. trying to mirror this. Uh, and I, yeah, I know it's hard. Hard. it was a lot harder than I thought. Hard wasn't I put my hand yeah. up there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching so on YouTube, <laughs> everything is mirrored, and we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not missing anything if you're just listening. <laughs> I think the easiest way is to look like it. So th this channel right here, yeah, goes. It, it creates a, a nice pocket for your hand. So it, it, I like to have in the in the base here where your index finger meets the knuckle. That's where I like mm. the grip to go into. And then it, it's slightly, by the time it gets to the pinky, it's sitting just on the palm side of that knuckle. Right. Not right. So it, it's on an angle kind of like that. Okay. It's Got it. mo This is very common. And many of you get a hole in your glove right here, way up high yeah. in the heel pad. And that that's part that. shouldn't even touch the club. It's the most common place for a hole. And that's because it's really high in your hand. And now all of a sudden, again, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a gap between this pen I'm holding and my pinky. And that gap allows the club to move. So now yeah. all of a sudden that club face is moving all around in your swing at the top. You got to re-grab it. You got to grip it a little tighter to feel like you have control of it. And it's hmm. a mess. And it leads to a, 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 a weak club face. So you get it down in the fingers there. This is a really important connection that you should be mastering this winter where the yeah. grip, where that um, you can see the pen here and the pinky, there's the um, there's a really strong connection there and there's no movement, it. really important aspect of the grip. And and so it's a, it's a slight angle, not completely in the fingers, um, but, but there's, there's definitely no space in between the um, the grip and your pinky. I love it. I love it. It takes no skill whatsoever to be able to work on your grip and make sure you're ready to go come springtime or really any time. So uh, let's let's move forward. And what I love about this, Greg, is the guy who has access to the net in his garage, which is kind of the bucket we're going to next. All that stuff we just talked about, it applies to them too, right? Like everybody can get yes. something something out of this. So let's say, how do we want to describe this next person? Someone who has net in garage who can kind of make full swings, but not access to either a, a launch monitor or a right. or something like that. Again, you're right. This all, all the stuff we just talked about applies and it's the yeah. base level of fundamentals, which is, which is not ability dependent. It's important to say that you, you could be a scratch player. You could be a tour player and yeah. your focus is on fundamentals. In fact, I would, I would say, in my experience uh, being around, I've never coached a tour player, but I've spent a lot of time around them and watched them interact with coaches and things like that. And the thing that always strikes me is a lesson with a tour player is far more simple than you would think. Mm. So in my tutelage with Michael and the time I spent a lot of time down at Medalist where there were just a ton of tour players, including Tiger, Brooks Kepka, the I mean the very best players in the world. And their coaches would come out there and I'd I was the range guy. I'd watch I'd watch the lessons. And I was always left with well, I I knew that. <laughs> they didn't do anything. <laughs> it's so yeah. simple. Yeah. But that's because this game is simple. But the reason you have coaches is to remind you to do the simple things that right. you don't think are the answer. So the, the whole point of that is when you're the guy in the net, when you're whether you're a five handicap, a scratch player, an aspiring tour player, or a 25 handicap, you're never above these fundamentals. Mm. And if you can remember that, you can always excel because um, they're, they're really the foundation of the game. But you're hitting in a net in the garage. Yeah. The number one problem you have is you don't get any feedback from where right. the ball goes. Everything so seems making, like, oh, I hit that one okay, or it hit the middle of the net. I, I don't know. It was whatever. Unless you yeah. can really get in tune with, I towed the heck out of it, or I you know shanked it, there's not much feedback there. Yeah, and contact is a great thing to practice. Um, so that would be one of the two things that, that you can really get out of hitting it in a net. The other thing you can do is take some duct tape on uh, both sides of the net and create 
a cross, a box, create some kind of target that in the middle and you, and and now you're going to focus on your start line. Okay. Some nets come with this, I believe now. Yeah, they they do. Okay. They do. Okay. But not all of them. And and mine mine does not. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Right. So you, you, you need a marker. And so you put a marker in the middle. You could even just have one strip right down the middle. And what you're going to do is if you're a player who is trying to fade the ball, you want to start the ball left of for a right-handed player. If you, I should say it this way to include our lefty friends. If you want to curve the ball from left to right, Mm -hmm. you want to start the ball on the left. If you want to curve it from right to left, you want to always make sure you're starting it on the right. The biggest problem you're going to have when you get out on the golf course, when it comes to shot shape is what they call the double cross. When, when you start it on the side that it curves to, you're in real trouble. Yes, so it, it, it's, a, it's a big problem. That's how it gets way offline. Yeah. So putting that line there will help you focus on start line, which again, if you're outside and you're in South Florida working on your start line, if you put an alignment stick out there, 10, 15 feet away from you, start it yeah. to the start it to the right and curve it to the left, start it to the left and curve it to the right. Doesn't mean do both. Choose one, whatever, whatever your shot is, make sure it's starting opposite the way it curves. And you should always hit that shot, by the way, that may be a mm-hmm. conversation for a different day, but I'm a huge believer in a single shot shape. Oh, really? And so have, yeah, Hugh, it, it's uh, absolutely the way to play. But when you have control of your start line, you will have control of the ball. So um, that that would be my recommendation in a net. And then focusing on contact is another really important thing. There's some foot spray, like a Dr. Scholl's foot spray. You can spray on the club and it'll show you where exactly your contact was. You can get impact tape that shows you where your contact is. Learning how to hit get center face contact is critical for distance and spin and direction and everything. Yeah. So uh, what you can do, uh, yeah, they make those they make those stickers that go on there. I don't know how many swings you're supposed to take before you replace the the swing, but yeah, spraying on what is it, Doctor Scholl's? It'll make yeah. a, it'll it'll like make a white your club face exactly. will have like a little white. Um, I don't want to call it residue something on it, and then yeah, when you hit film, a film, maybe a film. Yeah, and when you hit a golf ball, you will see, uh, at least in my case, you are not centering it on the club face. But with practice uh, and with consistency, you can figure it out. Okay, that's a good one because that is that is a type of feedback, right? That's a type of feedback that you're kind of missing from seeing the ball go further than six feet. You are getting really solid feedback on the face of your club. I like that. Yeah, and in modern technology, which this is beautiful, it's a great thing. But the difference between a toe hit and a center hit and a heel hit in the feel is reduced. And that's what our club manufacturers are trying to do that. They're trying to make it as forgiving as possible. So when you get on the course and you hit it on the toe, it's not uh, the, the ball ends up closer to where you expect it to end up. But hmm. we still want to get that centered in as much as possible because there are a lot of geeky things like gear effect and um, there it will, the center face contact actually affects the side spin of the ball. So having re- whether you're playing with quote unquote game improvement irons or blade irons, having center face contact will help you improve the direction of the shot as well as the consistency in the distance. I love that. There, there's something that, uh, I've seen, I have a lot of questions about that. Bryson DeChambeau is making very popular. We'll get to that in just a second, but Let's just let's just go to guy in South Florida who has probably access to a golf course. Maybe you have access to a launch monitor or a simulator where you can get some metrics. This person's out there playing. Is there truly an off season? Is there is there a time to say, okay, you know, I'm I'm gonna hone in on my fundamentals? Like what should this person be focusing on this winter? Well, the thing is, if you live in South Florida, this may not be the off season, it may be the the peak season. Oh, there you um, go. And and because the summertime gets really hot. And so, you know, many of the tournaments at the clubs and point being, it, it doesn't make a difference either way. What you right. want to be working on in your game is, like I just said, you want to make sure you have a single shot shape. Yeah. And this is, it's a, it's a really important thing. One of the number one things that I hear, Rick, is, and it, with the people that I'm fortunate enough to coach, I, I hear a little bit less of, I slice the ball than 
than the numbers would say. But the number one thing that I do here is I want to be more consistent. Mm. And when you start to ask questions, you want consistency, but you don't practice consistency. You don't hmm. practice the same things over and over again, but you want to be more consistent. And if you, when you talk that out and you say, okay, I want to be more consistent. Okay. Well, what are you doing to do that? And <laughs> you start to answer those hard questions and you're going to realize about, well, I'm not doing anything. Right. Do you have a routine? Do you have something that you practice every day? Are you going in the same direction or are you searching every day? And hmm. it's like, you think tomorrow when I practice, I'll find consistency, but no, that's not the case. You're going to find consistency through who knows. It, it could be a week. It could be five years. I don't know how long it's going to take. It varies for given individuals. It varies how big of a change you're making. It varies based on where you are and what your talent level is. But it, it um, in order to have, it's one. this is one of my favorite quotes. In order to have consistency, you have to do things consistently. Mm. So you have to do these things over and over and over and over again. And you have to have a single shot shape in mind. You're not going to become, you, you don't want to become like the, the nine shot window that Tiger talked about. Yeah. Is great. That's but not your goal. He's Tiger Woods, right. Um, the, but, and most people will have a natural shot shape, Greg. Now I imagine for most people it is left to right. If you are a right-handed player, which is a slice. But if you talk about controlling the club face, something we've talked about before, maybe you turn your slice into a cut or a fade and you can at least control it and you know it, right? Most people have a, yeah. a, a natural shape. Yes. And what you have to learn how to do is match the shape with your start line. So yeah. I'm, I'm okay with either way. Um, for players who struggle with distance, you might be better off hitting a draw. My personal preference is a fade at the highest level. The preference is quite convincingly a fade. Um, Seems because it, it, yeah. And the reason is when you have the speed, you, um, what's the easiest way to say this? A, a fade pattern requires a quieter club face. Hmm. A draw pattern asks for a more active club face. So you need the face to close a little bit more through the hit for a draw. Right. And well, what you really need is the path to come from the inside. So you have a path that's going out. Let's just take a right-handed player. Yes. Uh, the path is going out to the right. The face has to point left of that path, but it still has to be right of the target. But that means that the face is, is, pointed to the right and it has to close on the way through and it, that can be more difficult to time whereas a fade pattern the path is coming is coming out to in so it's um it's moving to the left and the natural athletic instinct is to keep that face open because if the hmm. face closes it's going right. to go left and you're going to be in trouble so it's i've always thought over the top players are closer to being consistent than under the top players. They just have to learn how to, how to make it all work and how to find the timing and believe that it's good, but you're closer because it asks for a quiet club face. So the point is if you're outdoors, whether, whether this is your peak season or your off season, you need to be consistently practicing your shot shape and mirroring your start line. So your start line is opposite your curve. And when you can master that fundamental, you'll play consistent golf. Consistent has been the keyword for this episode. One thing I want to throw in there before we get into speed training is if you don't have access to a launch monitor or a simulator, um, which you might not, but there are now options that are much cheaper, much smaller, uh, PGA Tour Superstore. I know the one near me. You can go to the PGA Tour Superstore and you can rent a half hour in their, in their simulator for, for 10 bucks. And it's like, Okay. And they rarely ever kick you out of there. And one of the things, Greg, that I've gotten used to doing, or I've, I've started doing, and I've, I've learned a lot about my game is I'll hit, um, 10 shots with every single one of my clubs or five shots or whatever it is. 
and look at the distance discrepancies. When I when I pure a stock seven iron and it goes one sixty, that's great. But that's not that's not happening every time. And when I get out on the golf course, knowing I'll, I'll think to myself, okay. I'd rather miss this short than long. And I know if I don't hit this seven iron grade, it might go 150 instead of 160. I'm going to hit a seven instead of a six, right? But no, using the technology, using access to my PGA Tour Superstore, um, I, that I'm getting numbers that way and I can do that in the snow. There, there are so many opportunities. And in the Northeast, these things are popping up all over the place where there's access to indoor golf. There's such a buzz for it. It's great. You can find somewhere to go. Um, so I recommend doing it if, and I know that, um, budgeting and finances are a factor here, but you can find the time to do it every once in a while. Find the, you know, one night you, instead of ordering takeout, you're going to save it and save up to go hit balls in the simulator one day. There are always things you can do if you put your mind to it. But, um, when you're in a simulator, what you're talking about, Rick, is your shot discrepancy or your shot pattern. And when you're practicing, when you're taking lessons, when you're working on your swing, the goal is to reduce the shot discrepancy. So your, your seven iron, the great thing about a simulator, even the, the one thing that a simulator is better at than being outside on the range is you can find out what your actual dispersion is left and right, long and short. It tracks all, you have all the data right there. So if your seven irons going one fifty to 175 that's too big of a gap and so you have a you have a an issue with distance control and that's where you can be spending some of your time practicing maybe you got to practice making ball first contact more often maybe it's controlling the club face a little bit more consistently so your distance control gets Mm -hmm. tighter that's always the goal right that's why single shot shape golf is the way to go because it it takes your left right pattern and it will shrink it and it, it will likely also take your long and short pattern and shrink that too. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Getting into a simulator is extremely important and there are so many ways to utilize that. Um, but, and that's one way it yeah. highlights your weaknesses. I, that, I was going to say, even if it's, even if you're just learning more about your own game, you're getting something out of it, whether you realize that you yeah. need to work on something or whatever it is, you're, you're learning something about your game. Finally, Greg, um, the topic of seemingly the year or the past two years is speed training. We see Bryson do it uh, all the time. He posted on his own YouTube channel. There are, I imagine, lots of different ways that one could try to find more distance. But the question I pose to you is, should we? Should we be speed training? And if so, what does that look like for an average or recreational golfer? I'm gonna I'm gonna spin this around, Rick. Okay. I'll ask you. <laughs> okay. You are a, a data guy. You have more yes. data than anybody in the game. Do you sure. think based on what you've seen at the highest level, mm-hmm. do you think speed training is important? Emphatic, yes. Uh it, it is it is not only the present, but seemingly the future. Um, and we've talked about this a ton on the first cup pod. We've talked about this. A tunnel, it just it, it, it distance um, makes up for a lot of other things, uh, and then being closer to the hole, hitting shorter clubs, the dispersion that we talked about. Uh, yes, yes, and yes. Speed speed training should be done now. For me, what what is my speed training is going to look different than Bryson DeChambeau's spring training grid? Speed training grid. Yes, of course, um, but you're right. Speed is the force multiplier. There is no defense. For speed it's the yeah. ultimate advantage and whether you don't have a lot of it or you have a lot everybody will benefit from hitting it farther yeah. the guy in bryson who hit it 305 yards off the tee changed his game by yeah. adding distance yes and there were if a you, lot of naysayers when he did if, if you hit it 200 yards and now you can hit it 215 that might change your game in a big way when you're trying to hit approaches into into par fours Yes. It, it doubles. That's the, that's the coolest thing about it is it doubles. That's why I call it a force multiplier. It's not just more length off the tee. It's shorter clubs into the green by two. If, if you, if you increase your distance by 10 yards, yep. you're going to have two clubs less into the green at least massive, massive. Dis, um, I mean, go out there when you get in a simulator 
test your six iron versus your eight iron. See which one has a smaller discrepancy. So what do you do? How do you get yeah, more? How speed? do we do it? it? What do we do? There are a lot of ways to get more distance. What we really want to get is more clubhead speed and that will translate into more distance. So um, it's important to point out first that there's, I love the term speed training. And right. it's something that I did a couple of years ago uh, before Bryson did this, but I had a guy, his name was Jacob Bowden. He had this program called Swingman Golf. And he came down to talk to us at the academy and showed us what he did and put gave us this program. And uh, and so we did it. Uh, myself and Bob Biganetti was another one of the coaches there. We committed to it for a whole summer. And there's no technique involved, there, which is one of the ways to increase distance. Technique is huge. Centerness of contact is huge. Club fitting is huge. There are a lot of ways to do it. But, but this is pure club head speed, uh, which will translate into ball speed and ultimately distance. Uh, in, and again, it's a formula, but y- there's no replacement for speed. That's your ultimate limiter and how far you can hit the ball. So basically, I went from being a what I thought was a long hitter. I had about 113 mile an hour club head speed which now is, is nothing. Uh, and in you're so in, lame now, <laughs> yeah, so, so lame. but I was up at 121 wow. in six weeks. Full one thirteen. Yeah. In six weeks. And, oh um, I'm sent, I'm back closer to 113 Now I haven't done my speed training in a couple of years, uh, which is my own fault. But the, the way you do this is you practice your max speed. And this, this is what Jacob said to me, which was so brilliantly simple. It's right up my alley. He said, the best way to increase your club head speed is to practice swinging faster. And Oh, okay. I wish who could have thought of that. (laughs) Who could have thought of that? But the the truth is you don't think of that. No, I didn't. (laughs) Right. And and so I I had, I, I laughed and I thought that is, unbelievable advice so basically at the very base level what you can do is uh is simply practice swinging faster to get a little more detailed uh, my recommendation is there's this great little device out there a little radar device called swing radar and it i think it's swing radar it's a little gray it's a little box about this big It's it's called swing radar yeah it's it's gray and blue i think they have a red one too i i've used the blue one so they I do. can't speak to the red one, but anyway, it's about a hundred bucks or something like that. Uh, yeah. There, it looks like there's maybe two miles, a hundred to 150 bucks, something like that. It's right in there. And the, the coolest thing about this device, um, is it measures your swing speed, whether you hit a ball or not, you can use a ball and you don't have to oh, use. Oh, I see. Which yeah. allows you to track your success in, in training not just when you're out on the range or hitting in a net or anything like that. You can, you can do it when you're, when you're training. And what I mean by training is you want to practice swinging fast with three different in three different areas. One is with your driver currently Mm -hmm. as is one is with something light. This may be your driver upside down where you're swinging the grip end of the club. Not my favorite, but it's a, it's an easy one. My favorite is a product called a, um, this, um, the speed whoosh, which is basically an alignment stick with a grip on it and a little ball on the end that slides up and down. You don't need the ball to be sliding up and down for this part. You can leave it at the end, but it, it, the point is it's something light. You could use an alignment stick. You might want to put some, um, hockey tape or electrical tape on the end. So you don't throw the thing, but you practice with something, Mm. your driver, something light and something heavy or resistance. Heavy and resistance. What would an example of that be? You could put a donut on your driver, like one of those baseball donuts. Yeah. They make Uh, small ones for for golf clubs. Yeah, they do. So you could, that's a a very simple thing you could do. Um, There are swing fans you can put on your own driver. There are also swing fans you can get that are just fans. That's a resistance device, Uh, the most common resistance device. And, I don't think there's any reason to go with anything other than a fan. If you're going to go resistance, 
Um, and then there are also clubs. They're not clubs. They're just shafts that are made for this that are a lot heavy, uh, a lot heavier. Mm. Um, and I can't think I can see this product right now. I can't think of the name of it. Anyway, there are a lot of heavy things you can swing. Is it just a matter of swinging these light, medium and heavy things as fast as we possibly can? And then well, teaching your bot that like your body learns from that. This is the first part, but the key is that you measure it. You you have to measure it so you can strive to beat it. Yeah. And that's really that's really the difference. If you're just swinging it as fast as you can, you don't know what the – and there's no way to measure. There's no way to strive for more. So you get yourself a notebook, and you write down your speeds with a light, heavy, and your driver at first. No ball. You don't need a ball. And then – the next day, two days later, this is an every other day program. You do it every other day. Every day is too much. You need, you need time to recover. Um, in fact, you can do it twice a week. Twice a week will get you results. Um, I prefer three. I'm a little bit of a go-getter. So you, you, if, let's say you're doing this three days a week. And the first day, you get 100 miles an hour with your driver. Um, the, the next day, you want to make sure you beat that. But every swing is trying to get faster than the one before. So all, all this is is 30 swings. It's 10 reps with a driver. It's 10 reps with something light. It's 10 reps with something heavy. 30 swings. And in all 30 reps, you're trying to beat your previous swing. You're and trying you to really, beat your rep. You should really be taking like, you should be like, uh, you know, getting getting set starting from your normal spot and swinging. Cause I know I would, I'll yeah. just start. I'll just, I, I won't end one swing before I start the next. Right. Just no, there's to... no momentum. This is not right. a momentum. No, not a momentum set, game. It's like you're going to hit a ball. Okay. Yeah. And you're seeing how fast you can go. Um, so that's one piece of this. Hmm. And that piece alone will help. You'll get faster. You, you probably won't go from 113 to 121. Um, you're probably not going to get an eight mile an hour club head speed difference, but you can get a really big, a, a really big jump from simply doing that. The, so the next piece is what they call isometric training, okay. which basically is if you, if you, uh, it's exercising without moving, it's resistance training. If, if you sold, push, I'm sold already. <laughs> right. It, it, trust me, it's, it's a workout, but you're, if you just stood up against the wall and you pushed as hard as you could, you wouldn't really move. But you would be really tired It'd by be the hard. end. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the concept. But it's basically these bands that you get. Um, and I'll, I'll look around, Rick, and I'll send you the bands that I had. Um, I got to do a little digging to find the name of them. But the, they're, they're not specific to this exercise. Okay. If you have some bands, resistance bands with different, um, yeah. with different weights. Yeah, different colors work. or different weights. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so what you're looking for is something that you can put into a, a doorway or clip onto a, a bar if you have a workout room or something like that. I used to clip it onto a cart, uh, and then you're going to have a handle on the other end. Mm -hmm. And in your golf posture, there are three positions you're going to train in. The first is the top of your backswing. So okay. you're going to get in there, and the, the band, the, the point of the band is going to be basically toward what would be the target. And it's going to come behind your head over your shoulders Oh, and you're going way. to push. Okay. So yeah. this is top of your, top of your backswing and you're yeah. pushing away from the target and right. you're holding it and you're holding it for 10 seconds. Okay. And by the time you get to 10 seconds, you're going to start shaking. shaking. Yeah. Like okay. crazy. You'll shake. Maybe not on the first set. You're going to do three sets of these three positions. The second one, you're going to now turn around if, if you leave the, the thing fixed. And yep. by the way, you always, you want the, um, where you anchor this thing, you always want it to be at the height. So the, the, um, the band is parallel to the ground. Okay. So when you, when you practice at the top of the backswing, it's attached up high. That's why a door frame is great. Cause you can, you can move the height. So it's up high where your hands would be at the top of your backswing. Got it. The next one, you're going to turn around and this is now a halfway down position as okay. if you're in the downswing halfway down. So your arm maybe parallel to the ground. Um, and the exact point doesn't have to be um, exactly the, where I would put it, but, um, but it should be consistent. Right. 
So I like the arms to be parallel to the ground and you're mimicking what you think your body should look like Hmm. as you're in your way down. So your Mm -hmm. hips are starting to open. The chest may be starting to open. The trail elbow has a little bend to it and, and there's a twist going on and you hold it in this position for 10 seconds. Okay. Start to shake. And then the last one, you're now going to move the, um, the, the place where this is attached to the, in the door frame down a little bit lower. And now we're going to get into impact. Okay. So now you set up in an impact position and you hold this band where now your hips may be facing the target. Yeah. Body's starting to open up a little bit. Trail elbow still has a little bend to it. And you're going to hold that for 10 seconds. Um, And if you do three sets of that, Mm -hmm. just, I mean, this is simple. This doesn't take a lot of time. This isn't a Bryson DeChambeau kind of workout. No. This you can do this with the 30 swings in like in a half hour easy so you're just yeah. you are just you are just strengthening the muscles that you are going to ask to swing the golf club faster you're keeping track of all of it you are engaging the right areas and all that stuff and just teaching your body how to get this ball through through the swing faster and when you do when you train the muscles mm-hmm. with the isometric training and you practice swinging faster, you're developing speed and strength, Mm -hmm. speed and strength at the same time. Mm. And this will lead to, you guessed it, speed. The the body has to be strong enough to, to handle the speed. The strength of your muscles will at some point be a limiter in how fast you can move the club. Okay. Good call. Yeah. Um, But it's not to say that strength is what creates the speed, but Mm. strength is kind of the gatekeeper to speed. So somebody who can't hold on to like grip strength in all the studies that they've done, they found grip strength to be really important in speed. And if you don't have a lot of strength, that's a limiter in how fast you can swing the club because you'll let go of it and you're not going to do that. So your speed will be governed by your grip strength. Um, And that's why one of the reasons why Bryson talks about grip strength so much. He talked about right all the time. Mm -hmm. It's really important. Um, And by the way, one more thing with isometric training. If you're feeling a little spicy, you want to up this thing a little bit. Like it's not enough. One thing, (laughs) you're going to up the weight. You should try to up the weight every every session. Okay. You're not going to want to do it. I'm. You're thinking. You're looking at me right now, thinking that's easy. Especially if you're, you know, in the gym and active. You're thinking that's easy, but by the time the second day comes around, you're going to, you're going to be saying, I, I, I really have to speed train again. <laughs> and you got to up the weight. You got to okay. up the resistance. Doesn't have to be crazy. You don't have to start crazy, but you got to up it every day, every time. But the next thing that you do is instead of just doing three sets of the three positions, you do them with, you do them in addition with one hand. Oh, so you, so you instead of being here, both, do I do both hands? Yeah. You would do okay. both hands. And for that, you don't need to do three reps with each hand. You, right. Your arms will fall off. Yeah. I'm, but you I'm, can do. I'm, I'm, I'm mimicking it. And I'm already tired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you do it with the, you'll do it with your trail hand. You'll do it with your lead hand. Same position. So you oh, start okay. with both hands and then you take one off. Right. And the weight, you, you, you've reduced the weight when you go to one hand. And I'm sorry if that was really obvious, but that's, that's what you're doing. And so, that, that program yeah that's there you can level up from there too but that program right there will increase your speed dramatically three times a week it's 30 minutes 30 minutes two to three times a week with full effort and full tracking and you will be flying by the time spring rolls around I'm on Amazon right now buying a uh, swing speed radar is what it's called. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, that is. I'll, I'll we'll, we'll try it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'll do it's it. It's a I'll huge. The the radar is a huge investment that is massively important. A lot of the things we talk like the putting mat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't need one. You want to go to a simulator? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But or it, a there are That's things you can cheap. do around it. The shoelace. <laughs> there's a lot of things that are low budget here. Yeah. But the radar is you. You won't see the results without it. 
you just won't because right. you have to measure. You got to like, play, the you gotta, measurement, you gotta like play against yourself. You got to like, yeah, yes. you got to improve. Hmm. It's so important. So you, and, and again, writing it down in the journal is the other thing that it'll keep you accountable. It'll keep you striving forward. It'll keep you looking for more. And it's, it's so important measuring and writing down your progress. And it'll also help you stay consistent. And, and I would also in the journal, I'd write down how many putts in a row you made on the board. Yeah. And then how many putts did you make off the board? How many times in a row did you bottom yeah. out the club ahead of the shoelace? There's, there's a reason that all of these, you know, the Peloton or whatever, like they all gamify everything, right? It, it, because if you can see it, if you can see what maybe other people are doing or what you've done in the past, try to get these, these PRs, these personal records, it is, it is motivating. So tracking all of it yeah. is important. And that's what we need now. Cause again, it's monotonous. Yeah. It, it, it's, we talked about what a speed training program. We talked about how you hold the club when you're sitting on the couch yeah, we talked about <laughs> hit, making the club hit the ground on one side of a shoelace <laughs> and dragging your putter along a piece of wood. Right? These are not the most. <laughs> this has been the worst podcast ever. What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> These things are they're, they're not sexy, but it, the monotonous training is what will lead to success. And so you need to make it a little more fun. You need to write it down like Peloton and gamify it and compete against yourself. Yeah. And it will keep you to the task and it will keep you from saying, this is easy. It'll keep you saying, I can do better than that. That's Greg Ducharme. You can follow him on Twitter at the real GFD. Greg, uh, you have given us a lot of really good things to go work on. I'm, I'm very interested in speed trading. I'll give it a crack. Uh, but as always, thank you, my friend. This is valuable stuff. I cannot wait to try it. Thank you for having me, Rick. Um, if you have any questions, you can get at me on Twitter. Um, you can send me an email, greg at michaelbreed.com. I'm always happy to help. Love helping people improve their game. It's my background, my passion, um, and you can always get me there. So, Rick, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And as I said, I'm happy to do it anytime.